0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.
2: Hey, it's Motley Full Money co host Dylan Lewis here. If you're listening to us, it's because you love following the stock market and learning about business stories. If you're looking to keep learning and unlock your potential, then you should check out the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast produced by our friends over at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning Best Business podcast that's received nearly 43 million downloads and is the number one career podcast in 95-plus countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills, from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking to being more persuasive, whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are important in business and life in general. That's why you'll hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, as well as speechwriter, best-selling author, and friend of the fool Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. All that and so much more available on the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast. So what are you waiting for? Listen every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Hey,
1: everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining us today on Her Money. You know, it has been a running joke, I guess, although... Whether or not it's funny or not, I can't quite decide, but it's been a running thing among my friends lately that we just can't focus. I mean, over the last few months, we somehow seem to have lost our ability to hone in on a particular task or conversation or chore in the same way that we were able to do earlier in quarantine. We're just more distracted. Somehow, Now, is that due to spending way too much time scrolling social media in our PJs? Is it due to having zero routine or a different routine? Is it because of trying to manage remote school and work and cooking dinner and making a doctor's appointment and a thousand other things all within the span of a single day during which we never leave the house? These are strange times, for sure. But I think many of us expected that the older that we got and the longer we were stuck at home like this, the better we would be able to focus, to manage stress, to fall asleep without thoughts racing through our minds. But for many of us, things just seem to be getting worse. And I am not, by the way, talking about COVID brain fog, the brain fog that has been in the headlines. That's a real medical issue. It's one that I know doctors will be focused on for many years to come, as they should be. I'm talking about what today's guest says many of us are suffering from. She calls it Busy Brain Dr. Romy Mushtaq is a triple board certified neurologist she is an integrative medicine specialist and a mindfulness expert who has impacted millions of lives via her speeches and workshops. She's also the chief wellness officer for Evolution Hospitality, and she is here today with a cure, thankfully, for our busy brains called
3: Brain Shift. Dr. Romy, welcome. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Jean. I am fangirling to be here with you and the entire Her Money community. Thank you.
1: Oh, well, we are so excited to have you here. We're going to get to tactics, and I know you've got plenty of them, but (laughs) before we do, I want to hear how you got your start. I mean, you entered neurology at a time when fewer than 5% of neurologists were women, and then you developed this very rare health issue that changed your course. Give us a little bit of your story.
3: Yeah, Jane. thank you. You know, I am the daughter of immigrants, and English is my second language. And I grew up with one success mantra in childhood. I don't know if any of your other listeners can relate to this. We have one daughter, and you will become a doctor. So <laughs> the only thing I've ever known as a child is succeed, push yourself to succeed. And I did that, right? And as I was wearing my stress as a badge of honor in my early career as a neurologist, I was in academic medicine. So that meant not only was I seeing patients, I was doing research and teaching medical students and residence physicians, uh, the real-life versions of Grey's Anatomy without McDreamy and McSteamy and all the other (laughs) hot doctors there, you know, to take me out on a date. Yeah. No George Clooney. No, no, none of those. No, no. Yeah. And so here, here I was. And something was wrong and I was responsible. I started to have chest pain and I went into the doctor very much like probably everybody is hearing right now. Oh, you're just a typical type A success driven professional. You've got acid reflux. You need to stop the wine and the chocolate, which was (laughs) devastating. And here are some antacids and antibiotics and we need to do tests. So I listened and I started the antacids and I stopped the chocolate. It didn't work. So I stopped the antacids and restarted the chocolate, right? Like any good woman would do to cook. Oh. And it progressively got worse to the point that I was having difficulty swallowing and waking up in the middle of the night, Gene, and I physically couldn't breathe. I was choking on my own vomit and saliva, getting pneumonia. And mind you, I'm only in my early 30s. And what we discovered at that time was I had been on that churn and burn stress cycle for so long that not only do I have this rare medical disorder achalasia, which by the way is just typically discovered on autopsy oh in about gosh. 1% of Americans, but my... my... My stress was so bad that I had literally like burned the lining of my esophagus and stomach and upper intestine and I had precancerous lesions. So I am sitting here with you today having come about 10 years ago being burned out and undergoing life-saving surgery. And so I'm here for a message for all the women and the men who listen in this community. Like, There has to be a different way. We can't burn and churn our ways through the changes in the pandemic.
1: No, and I think even though many of us, and I think we probably have a good number of type A listeners to this show, I know we've got an audience of really smart, really successful women, even those who were coping before the pandemic, I think have found ourselves struggling during it.
3: Is that part of it normal as well? Yeah, when we look at the recent surveys from Gallup at work, it's showing that women are about 90% of women are reporting anxiety, actual anxiety disorder, not just feeling anxious, that's more than double the baseline rate for mental health in America. But really, what does this mean? We know this. You've discussed it on previous podcasts. I've listened to the episodes. Women are working the second shift. We are you know, carrying so many burdens right now for ourselves, our businesses, our families during the pandemic, our circle of girlfriends. But there's something else that has happened in the brain. And first of all, as a fellow type A personality, I'm unapologetic about it. Like, welcome, sisters. Like, Exactly. This is who – yeah, we call ourselves the mind mavericks. We're the movers and the shakers of the world. There's no need to apologize. Like, be success-driven, but we can do it and not kill ourselves. And that's the pattern that I've largely been seeing was happening BC before COVID, when I would go into workplaces and meet men and women and work with them. The stress levels were high, and it was becoming unproductive. And now in the AC after COVID world, finally, I think companies and teams were starting to say, oh, yeah, I need to prioritize my brain and mental health. So what
1: Exactly is brain shift. And I, I want to make sure we approach this in a way that makes sense. So if we need to dive into stress first, we can absolutely do that. I mean, I sort of want to unpack the problem and get us to a solution in, in the most effective way.
3: Let's do this. Can I start with what's a busy brain? The brain shift is the actual cure for the busy brain when sure. I ask you to brain shift. So Jean, you know, as I've studied stress my entire career, not only for my own health, but seeing it as a neurologist and now in integrative medicine, there's one aspect or surprising brain science that I'm working on in my first book that most traditional doctors have missed but when you say it, there's this aha moment that for those of us that are unapologetic, success-driven, moving 100 miles an hour, even if we're just sitting and working from home, we tend to be very hyperactive and hypervigilant and in that GTD, get things done mode. That's who we are in our best selves, right? But when we continue on that stress cycle, it turns out that anxiety or feeling anxious, difficulty focusing, or ADD, and insomnia are not three separate diseases. In traditional medicine, we treat it like three separate diseases. So if you came into the doctor's office and said, hey, I I can't focus during the day, you've either been taking a lot of caffeine, or you're about to get a stimulant. Well, guess what? That's making the anxiety and the insomnia worse. So you get something to calm you down at night, whether you're self-medicating with alcohol at home or getting a prescription sleeping pill, or girl, let's be real, one of those like bougie overpriced supplements that some Instagram influencer told you to buy online, right? <laughs> like nothing gets on my last nerve when I have clients coming and be like, but Dr. Robbie, do you know how much I spend on this? I don't work, right? And it turns out that we're in this rut where we're stimulating ourselves all day and we're trying to sedate ourselves at night. And what we're doing during the day is making the insomnia at worse. And the whatever we're doing to calm down and take the edge off and cure insomnia is making our ability to focus and be productive and stay calm worse. We're in this vicious cycle. And when you break down the brain science, can I do that? Is that kind of boring? Here yeah, I no, I mean podcast. I love
1: the I love the brain science. So, so ah, let's yes. let's have at okay. it.
3: Okay, so there a lot of your listeners have heard this before. There's something in your brain, in the temporal lobe, amygdala known as the stress response. Uh, that's when you get emotionally hijacked and the stress hormones start to surge and it can cause symptoms all over your brain and body. But with a busy brain, there's a specific pattern of inflammation that GABA and other excitatory hormones that should be pepping you up just get completely imbalanced. And that's why you're anxious and you can't focus and your to-do list is multiplying and you've got multiple screens in front of you now as you work from home and the messengers going off and the emails are going off and there's a child or a pet in the background. It's coming and you can't even get one thing done. Right, And all the noise is multiplying around you. And you, you can't stay calm like you normally would have. And then you can't take the edge off at night. And you can't shut down the racing thoughts. And that's the spectrum known as the busy brain, that it's all one spectrum. And you can get to the root cause of it, which we'll get to in a second, which is brain shift, and get all of that under control. I'm listening to you, and I'm
1: thinking, oh, I mean, I've gone in covid And we'll just get really honest here. I've gone from COVID from the point where I would have my last cup of coffee at about 10 o'clock in the morning to 12 Mm -hmm. o'clock to 2 o'clock. And then from the point where one glass of wine would be completely enough, Mm -hmm. always, to Mm -hmm. the point where it's just not You know, it's so much harder to stay pepped up and it's so much harder to wind down. And then I've started this crazy thing where in order to sleep at night, not that this show is all about me, but let's just make it about me for a second. No, no. I plug my audio book into my brain and that having that activity actually puts me
3: to sleep. Okay. I get it. And Jean, thank you for your honesty. And I know so many people are sighing a breath of relief going, oh, my God, you're not alone. And that's why I shared my story at the top of the podcast. Like, I'm not here because I'm the smartest woman you could bring onto the podcast. I'm here because it started out 10 years ago where you were, and I kept burning and churning to the point that I got burnt out. And those same elders in my family that were like, we have one daughter, you should become a doctor. <laughs> we're all of a sudden saying, what happened to our Romi? It's like the lights are on and nobody is home. And And that's where we head. We've all been there, Gene. I am too. And by the way, for, you know, I made a promise not to drink in quarantine even during happy hours. But can I tell you what substituted alcohol for me early on when I knew I was going into busy brain, the same thing I'm researching? Comfort carbs. It's a uh. magic trick how quickly those boxes of gluten- free Girl Scout cookies disappear. I didn't even know they made gluten-free Girl Scout cookies.
1: I guess that's yeah. yeah. No, the, the regular yeah. cookies, the Oreos disappear <laughs> in my house. Yes.
3: Yeah. Okay. See, and, and so whether it's alcohol, it's some form of sugar we're using to numb ourselves at night with alcohol has that additive sedative effect, right? So we're all in this together, but here's another thing. I mean, for those of the listeners that have children at home, you may find that the only quiet time to get back to work and answer those emails because now you have no more Zoom work meetings to attend and your children, you know, thankfully don't have to do virtual schooling anymore. We're working, putting our productive hours late at night rather than calming down. I mean, this is our new reality and this is what's a busy brain. But I'm here to say, sister, your brain is not a bulletin board. You just can't keep throwing stuff at it. Like your brain needs
4: boundaries. Let's talk about Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Jean. If you want to continue unlocking your potential, then you should also check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by our friends at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast Talk Smart is the Webby Award-winning Best Business Podcast that received nearly 50 million downloads. It's the number one career podcast in 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills from making small talk that leaves a big impression to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are critical to business. All that and so much more is available on Think Fast, Talk Smart. Listen every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. about that? So, Dr. Romi, let's get into... How do we break this cycle?
3: I mean, you said you gave up alcohol during COVID. Is that what we need to do? No, no. This is the beautiful part, okay? I'm just going to break it down into Dr. Romy Real Talk because we don't want to lose friends on the Her Money podcast. (laughs) I'm not here with some bougie brain advice like, oh, eat berries, Jean, and everything is going to be fine, right? Nor am I going to take your alcohol away. And most importantly, we are not going to do a calorie limiting cleanse because right now, cleansing feels like such a punishment. And we're living under so many punishing circumstances and rules. If I were to give you any more rules, doesn't that feel like it would just add to the stress? Yeah. I'm up to
1: here with just the rules about when I can't see my friends. So as I'm sure many of us are.
3: We are. I feel the same. So here's the thing that I'm here to say is... I I want to break down, we were talking about brain science and what the brain shift protocol is. So when our brain shifts from being a mind maverick into the stress cycle, and and we do a a free stress test on our website, you can go to it and see, there's two phases that happen. The first phase, instead of being a mind maverick, where when you're a mind maverick, you're able to process your stress and perform. No problem. That was Probably all of us before the pandemic. You know, we didn't become successful women without those skills. Now, all of a sudden, the early phase is what I call brain drain. You take the test and you score between a 30 and a 40. It means, hey, the usual things that you and I would do, like yoga at home or exercise or walking around the block or sleeping eight hours, isn't really making us energetic anymore. And like Jean, you said earlier, we find we need caffeine or a pick-me-up later and later in the day to keep going that's the brain drain phase and if you're there it's really easy to climb back and we've got a ton of resources for you on free on our website but we'll talk about that but here's the thing where we're finding when we we did like eugene we're working with so many companies including fidelity and we were finding that 90 percent of the teams were above a 40 which is the brain strain your brain is straining To keep your brain and body functioning. And we need to get down to the root cause of it. And that's where brain shift came along. I want to know, what's the problem? Is it with your sleep, your hormones, H, I, inflammatory markers like vitamin D, F, fuel, the way you're fueling yourself, or T, technology, right? That we're scrolling and trolling on Instagram too late at night. Or nowadays, it's Clubhouse. Have you gotten on Clubhouse? Oh, my goodness. Not yet. I know I have to, but, but not yet. yes. It is. It's it's another scrolling, trolling, listening kind of, you know, social media app that so many of us have gotten into. And that's what happens. I want to break it down because if you're like Dr. Romy, what can I do? I've tried everything. I want you to know that there's an imbalance in and it's somewhere in your sleep, your hormones, inflammatory markers, especially vitamin D3, how you're fueling yourself or technology. And this podcast isn't long enough to go into all of them. So I thought I would just break down one place to start. Does that, that sound okay, That sounds perfect. Jean? Yeah. It's called the three thirty method, that in your busy life, could you give me three minutes a day and 30 minutes before bedtime? What do you think? Could we both do that together, Jean? We'll, we'll do, do that. that.
1: Yeah. We can absolutely do that.
3: Yeah, so here's the three-minute breaks during the day. You know, we all have what ability to section off our days. I know it feels like everything is bleeding into each other. You're running a load of laundry, maybe keeping an eye on children or caregiving for elderly while doing your job. But if I actually asked you to look at your schedule, could you say, well, this is the time I'm going to help my children. This is the time I'm doing meal prep. This is the time I'm doing a chore or working. And in between any one of those places, I need you to take... A three minute break and step away from it all. Three minutes to step away from it all. And I'm going to lead you, if you're le- listening to this podcast right now, in one of my favorite ways to reset the brain. It's called the Take Two Meditation. Would you like to do it with I you? would Can love I do to. That? Okay. So this is going to be hard because we're recording a podcast, but we're both going to practice this together. The whole idea is we need to get away from our screens and the blue light. That's kind of scrambling our brain and adding to that busy bulletin board in our brain. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm just going to ask you to take a nice deep breath and look away from all the screens that are in front of you. And find two things with your eyes open that you can focus on. So could you tell me two things you're looking at, Jean, instead of all your podcast recording equipment right now? Uh,
1: Yep. I'm actually looking at pictures of both my kids from their bar and bat mitzvahs.
3: Oh, how beautiful. I want you to focus on the image and the color and the size of the pictures And if any of the beautiful memories from the bar and bat mitzvah are coming back to you, just allow it to wash over you and take a nice deep breath. (sighs) And now we'll guide the listeners. What are two things you all can hear other than Jean and Mai's voices on this podcast in the room right now? I want you to focus on the tone and the volume of whatever you're hearing. For instance, I can hear this air conditioning heating vent in my office right now where we're recording this podcast. And focus and take another deep breath. And what are two things you can touch right now? I want you to notice their texture, their temperature, and take another deep breath. And what are two things you can smell or taste right now? And just focus on the aroma and the flavor. And take another deep breath. Good, and now just come back to the rest of this podcast episode and welcome back. It's that easy to scramble our busy brains, Jean. It's the sight and the sound and the smell and the touch that are the airport traffic runways into that center of our brain. And when we do something that's associated with pleasurable memories, like you telling me about the pictures of your children, it's as if I was sitting right there in your office looking at those pictures. I could just feel your energy shift. So when we do this at three different junctures
1: during the day, we just step away for two minutes. Mm-hmm. We, we go somewhere else.
3: I say three minutes to to scramble your brain. And here's a secret. If anxiety levels are high, sometimes you're like, girl, I tried that breathing stuff. I downloaded an app. It doesn't work. Dr. Romy, what do I do? What do we do for people like that? We call it a Romy rake the leaves moment. Uh, I live in Orlando, Florida, and in downtown. And there is these oak trees. So there are beautiful leaves falling off the tree year round. I know many people may be listening to this podcast, and there's snow outside to shovel. The idea is it's the same concept of what's something you can see, touch, taste, or smell, but do a physical activity to calm down the anxiety levels. So raking the leaves for just three minutes, organizing a spice drawer. And here's one of my favorite ones based in yoga is do a forward fold with your eyes open. So you literally are looking at your room upside down, a shift in perspective, and breathing. You're scrambling your senses so that they do a quick reset and your brain calms down. It's, it's that simple. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But this is the whole science behind these micro habits and brain shift is one little brain shift can create an entire shift in perspective for your brain. And I'm
1: actually feeling calmer than I was feeling mm-hmm. before we were doing that exercise. So that's a
3: good first sign. What's
1: the 30 minutes at the end of the day?
3: All right. You kind of hinted at it already. This is where we may lose some friends, but bear with me. I'm going to ask you to divorce your digital devices 30 minutes before bedtime. It's more important today than ever. And just to show the studies is two things. One, we did this when we were still meeting in person at Evolution Hospitality, where I'm chief wellness officer. This, remind you, this is a company that manages hotels. So hotels are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week on all holidays. And yet we told every leader, no digital devices 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime. We measured stress scores before and after for 21 days. And Gene, the results were amazing. Like literally an average of a 60 percentage point drop in stress scores they wouldn't have done as well had I given them Xanax or Ambien or Restoril, a sleeping or anti-anxiety medicine. And in fact, that's one of our most popular programs now is our 21-day digital detox we do every quarter. It has that profound of an effect because all the lights, not just the blue lights, tell our command center in our brain like, girl, wake up, it's time to start stressing and obsessing again and that bulletin board gets full again in our brain. Even here's the thing, Jean. If you're listening to an audiobook, and that's if you're looking at your screen now. If you're disciplined to have it on a Bluetooth speaker, and and the voice is just calming to you, that's perfect. How do you do it at home?
1: I I do it on my phone, and okay. I put the phone down, but I have okay. You know, I have earbuds plugged in. So I should okay. maybe, I nope. mean, I don't know that I-
3: th- I think that works. Here's the thing, Gene, that I found. You may be more disciplined than I am, but most of us are human. You know, the notifications start popping up for an email, somebody liked a post on Instagram, whatever the notifications are, and the temptation, if there's a lull in the story or the music you're listening to or the meditation, just the temptation to pick it up again. Yeah, no, it's So hard. if you can resist it, that's perfect. But, you know, if you can listen to something with earbuds, whether it's music or something, that's absolutely fine. And we'll do that. But no no smart TV, no laptop, no e-reader, because that light is elevating our stress hormones at night. And so if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to bed, it's because your stress hormones are so high that they're wired and they're telling you, hey, wake up, because they think it's six, seven o'clock in the morning and it's only like 1.57 a.m. But we could read an actual book or a magazine. Yes, read an actual book. But that same rule applies is do things that calm your sight or your sense of smell or hearing or touch. And if you're a busy brain and busy body like I am, this may be kind of gross, but I leave all my dishes in the kitchen sink. So I'll do them 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime because then I've got like nasty oily curry and dishwashing soap on my hands. (laughs) I'm not going to pick up a phone. And then my dog gets an extra walk. So the minute I go to the sink, he goes to the front door. He knows he's going to you know, go out and play one last time at bedtime. So I'm that busybody. I have to move to to unscramble that bulletin board from my brain. And here's the other thing is if your brain is full, we have a rule called the brain dump. If you think it, ink it. Now, I don't need you to get some fancy journal. Who has time to start journaling? Hey, if you're a journaler in here, In the Her community, wonderful. But most of us don't have time. Get the back of a napkin or, you know, a piece of paper or the back of an envelope that a bill came in and just write something down. Because when you think it, you ink it, and then you're free to release it from your brain. And that's the cure to the busy brain. So digital detox, and then if you ink it, think it, do a brain dump. Those two steps alone, before we even add in any mindfulness-based exercises, typically get about 90% of our patients off of sleeping pills, prescription sleeping pills. Two quick
1: follow-up questions. Is there a difference when it comes to financial stress that you found? Is there any particular way that you
3: found to get rid of that? Well, gosh, this is where I would add your expertise, and and we're eager to have you come talk to all of us at Evolution Hospitality. Absolutely, as well, anytime. Because here's the thing, you know, we know the number one related stressor before the pandemic was our jobs, and then finances. Now that's all kind of blurring together uh, when you look at the data. So that's the cause of stress and so for most of us see the unapologetic success driven mind mavericks in my community we need to have control so the idea is you know i would say in that 3 minutes during the day or the 30 minutes at night if finances are a stress what's one aspect you could do to take control of your finances in that 3 minutes so what would you tell me to do in 3 minutes a day or 30 minutes before bedtime to feel like i'm getting control of my finances again jean because it's it's a worry it's a realistic worry
1: yeah it it absolutely is and we know that stress goes down when we have Goals when we have an emergency savings account, and when we're putting away 10% for the long term. Yeah. So, any one of those three that you could work on during those 30 minutes. I yeah. think would be effective.
3: And and what if if it was just looking at your emergency fund or I your think savings that's account where you put that ten percent? I don't know. With the volatility of the markets, looking at your four hundred one k or stock portfolio may be a little stressful, right?
1: Yeah, but if you're if yeah. you know you're adding to your savings, then mm-hmm. looking at your savings as a confidence yeah. booster Wonderful. anyway, and you can I love see that. how much closer you're getting to achieving those goals. So I think that's Thank you for
3: sharing that tip with me. I'm going to pass that on in our community of Mind Mavericks because we need that and financial stress is real. But you know where I'm coming from is I'm getting your brain to function again so that If you're procrastinating and taking your financial advice and your tips to do it, or there's a perfectionist or that fear of action, I'm calming the stress hormones down in the brain with this 330 method. That's just the start of our Brain Shift at Work program, and then... It, all of a sudden, the things that felt so frightening, like tackling your finances or that you're procrastinating or feeling overwhelmed that you don't even know where to start, all of a sudden, you feel calm and in control again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know that everybody listening is saying, where do I get this test, the busy brain test? So yes. where do I go to take that? And it is free,
3: right? It is, oh, absolutely free. We're not upselling anything because I want people to be empowered. I want you to be a mind maverick. So you can go to our website, drromi.com. It's right, it'll be right at the front of the website or drromi.com forward slash test. We'll include a link when we share the podcast here on my platform as well. And just take a look at it drromi.com forward slash test test and it's called the Busy Brain Test. Find out if you're a mind maverick standing in your brain power or if you're in a brain drain or if you're in a brain strain. We put you through specific things to do three minutes a day, 30 minutes at night. And on averaging, we found with the clients we were working with last year virtually, that they saw a 25% uh, improvement in their stress scores in just seven days. That's amazing. All
1: right, Mm -hmm. I'm on it. I'm going to
3: take it, and I will let you
1: know. I'll let you know how I did. Dr. Romy, thank you so much for doing this with us today.
3: Oh, thank you. I want every woman listening to stand in her brain power. Sisters, you are all Mind Mavericks. We are going to come out on the other side of this, standing in our brain power. That sounds good to me.
1: I've loved this conversation. I hope we can do it again soon. Please check out the webcast, and we will be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. Her money's. Catherine Tuggle joins me now. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. That was a great show. Thanks. I thought she was very interesting and incredibly on point for what's going on. I know in my life, but I think in the lives of so many of our listeners. I mean, I just I don't think any of us expected this to drag on this long. And you would think that you get better at something, but it is not getting easier. It's just getting harder. Yeah, not even close
0: did we expect to be here in this position for this long. It was just a big joke that we might have to miss Halloween, right? Or that we might not be able to travel for Christmas. And now I've begun to worry about next Halloween
1: and next Christmas, uh. because I don't think we're all going to be vaccinated by then. Well, I hope we will. I hope we'll be vaccinated by the end of summer. I think we will. I've been listening to Dr. Fauci. I think that the trend lines are moving in the right direction, and I hope that the warm weather allows them to accelerate when we get to warm weather in the rest of the country. I don't think we really understood how special it was to be able to have meals outdoors with people last year. You know how much of a luxury that was, but with two feet of snow on the ground, it's just not possible right now. But I hope that by the end of summer we can move back into some semblance of normalcy. I I read a story that made me feel good in the New York Times today. I think it was the New York Times. It may have been CNN, but it was about. Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York, and how he is making plans to bring back Broadway by mandating that everybody get a test before they go, and has teed up the idea that you can have weddings if everybody gets a test before they go, and that that there have been events that have worked like that. And so that, that's okay with me. I've, I've gotten tested many times at this point and i'm happy to get tested again
0: yeah i have also been tested many times i had a girls weekend away in october where we all got tested and we have another one coming up at the end of this month and we're all going to get tested and you know it makes everybody feel more relaxed and i don't i haven't met anyone yet at any of these
1: gatherings who has a problem with doing it no no and i think if people have a problem with doing it they can just not go I mean that sounds terrible but um it's a choice. It does, no <laughs> you know it's a choice if if that is what it's going to take to make the people inviting you or holding these events comfortable and you don't want to do it well then you're making a choice. Yeah, totally so. agree. But I think Dr.
0: Romy had some great tips for all of us on how to de-stress whether it's covid stress or work stress or at the point that we're all beyond this, you know, that ability to to disconnect from your busy brain and to reconnect
1: with the smaller things in life is so important. It's such a great skill to have. Yeah. I'm gonna try these three minute breaks. I mean, even for me, I can do three minutes. I can get it, I can get it done. Three minutes, three times a day, that will work for me. So we'll give it a shot. Absolutely. I know we've got a bunch of questions. I'm to make sure we get to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Our first question
1: comes to us from Lexi. She writes, Gene and
0: Catherine, hello, I'm a 23 year old engineer and I've enjoyed listening to your podcast and getting your Harmony emails for the past few years to educate myself about money. I'm in my first year out of college, woohoo, 2020 grad, and have been employed for about six months now with an annual salary of $70,000. I was wondering what I should do with my savings. I've maxed out my Roth IRA since I was 19 through internships, and I've already done so for 2021. Similarly, I invest 10% toward my employer Roth 403B and another 10% toward my employer 403B, which my employer also contributes 10% to. I've begun paying my student loan debt of $10,000, which I plan on paying off over the course of the next year or so. I have current saving goals of post COVID travels, a wedding, a honeymoon, and a house. I'm struggling with how best to save my money, especially for the wedding and the house. Specifically, I see myself getting married within the next five years and a house maybe within the next 10. My boyfriend earns $50,000 annually. I have $3,000 in a five year CD that I started last year, as well as $5,000 in my Vanguard investing account, which are invested funds. I have $10,000 in savings. Although these numbers aren't necessarily high yet, as I'm still building up my finances, I want them to get working for me in the best way possible. Should I be doing any adjustments to my retirement allocations? Thank you so much for any insight you can offer, as well as all of the
1: guidance and confidence you've given me through your work. First of all, Lexi, and I know, Catherine, you are feeling the same way. Wow. I I mean, just Wow. And let me point out a couple of things about this letter to everybody who's listening. First year out of college, annual salary of $70,000. She works as an engineer. For anybody who's thinking about a STEM career, I mean, this is it. These are the numbers. This is the argument. Of course, we want you to enjoy it. Of course, we want you to be interested in and happy with what you're doing. But the earning potential is there and it's very, very clear that they not only need women in these fields, they really want women in these fields. So if you're looking for a smooth and clear career path, Lexi is just pointing the way. Second thing, you are supercharging your retirement savings. I mean, we often talk on this show about how if you can get to the point where you are putting away 15% of whatever it is you're earning from the time you start working until the time you stop working, you will secure your retirement. You will have enough to make sure that the money lasts a good 30 years and enables you to live comfortably on a salary that will cover a decent chunk of your pre-retirement earnings. You're putting away 30% and you're just a year out of school. That is phenomenal. I like the way that you are diversifying, that you're putting some money into Roth holdings and some money into traditional holdings. That just gives you a nice way of being able to pull out of both pools of money as you get down the road. Plus, Roth flexibility is nice to have. It's nice to have when you are buying your first house. It's nice to have should you ever wanna go back to school. It's nice to have should you ever need money for something that comes along unexpectedly because you can get at the contributions without penalty. So I like that as well. As far as addressing your specific questions, So allocating your retirement assets, you didn't say anything about how the money is invested. I assume that the vast majority of it is invested fairly aggressively, that you've got a good 80 to 90% of it in stocks. That's where it should be. Yes, the markets are absolutely going to go up and down. No question, between the time that you retire and the time we're at right now, you will see the market roller coaster. You will see it rise big and you will see it fall big and you will see it do it again and do it again and do it again. But historically, what we know is that over time, the markets go up, the trend line is up. And so, as you look to your future, you want to have most of your money in stocks. As for those other goals, the wedding, the house, I don't have a huge amount of difficulty with you keeping that money in fairly safe havens. Could you invest the money for your down payment 10 years from now? Yeah, you could. 10 years is a long time. It's a long enough time to have a stock market time horizon. But you could also not. You could also put the money into CDs. You could put the money into high interest rate savings accounts. And you could do so knowing that you have covered your your bases in other ways. Or you could split the difference. You could look at bonds. You could look at other investments that are not quite as risky as stocks. Or you could look at something that mixes the two, like a balanced fund. I say this because the time frame that you're putting on your goals has a little bit of a wishy-washy feel to it. That you see yourself getting married maybe within the next five years and a house maybe within the next 10, those things can change and they can change pretty quickly. You know, you may decide that you want to buy a house before you get married or that you want to buy a house in three years and get married in seven. I want you to give yourself the flexibility to make all of those things happen. So I just want to say, good job, keep going, keep saving, and the only word of caution that I would give you is make sure that you are giving yourself the opportunity to have some fun as well.
0: I could not agree more with that, and she's doing such an incredible job of saving, and she's so young. It's so funny reading this letter. I was just laughing to myself, thinking how pleased I was at 23 with like my 3% contribution to my
1: 401k. (laughs) I know, <laughs> so she's uh, she's killing it. But then again, we know that you were a journalist and not an engineer, and so you weren't making that much money, and neither was I. Yes,
0: yes, this is true.
1: We do the best we can. 100%.
0: Our next question comes to us from Denise. She writes, Hi, Gene, Big thanks to you and to Fidelity Investments for offering great financial advice to women. My husband, 48, and I, 47, have a mortgage balance of $74,000 and a monthly payment of twelve seventy. dollars Our mortgage has a rate of 3.875% and expires in May of 2026. We also have a home equity loan of $41,000 with a 5.59% rate and a 610 monthly payment that expires in June of 2029. With mortgage refinance rates at historic lows, does it make sense for us to combine both loans into one 15-year mortgage since rates are around 2.7%? Our financial goal is still to pay off the loan by May 2026, when our first child will be entering college. So if we refinance now to a 15-year term, we'd make much more than the minimum payment. With the cost of refinance and the short time horizon of five to seven
1: years, will we save money? Thanks again. So Denise, this is a really good question, but it is a really complicated question because Usually, if you're trying to figure out, should I refi a mortgage, you figure out what is the cost of this transaction. Then you look at how much you're going to save every single month, and you do some quick division. And if you're planning to be in the house longer than the number that you get when you divide the cost of the transaction by the monthly savings, which equals the number of months you have to stay— then you go ahead and you do it because you know you're going to come out ahead. You've got a lot more factors at work here. You want to prepay. You've got two different loans. You are looking to accelerate the payment of both of those loans, and you want to reduce your interest rate. So there's a lot going on here, more than I could handle with a simple mortgage calculator. I actually reached out to a guy named Keith Gumbinger, who has been one of my best sources for a good two decades. He is the mortgage expert that I call whenever I have a serious mortgage question, and he used the mortgage calculator called the It's My Term Prepayment Calculator, which lives on hsh.com, in order to run these scenarios. And the answer is basically yes. Yes. You should refi in some way, probably. It will save you money if you do that, but you've got some choices. And there are a lot of numbers staring at me on the screen right now. What I'm actually gonna do is send this analysis to you via email so that you have it. But I also just want everybody else here to know the different ways that you can look at this in order to save some money. So if you go ahead and you roll these loans together and you refinance them at 2.75, you're absolutely going to save yourself money in interest over the long term. You'll end up paying a little bit more In total monthly payments because you're trying to get out of that home equity loan, which is scheduled to last until 2029 by 2026, but not a whole lot more per month, just a couple hundred dollars, and it's going to save you a good $18,000 overall. So that is something to consider. There is a cost to this transaction, probably about $2,500 in closing costs. There's also a hassle factor to doing it this way because it's not super easy to refi a loan as anybody who has ever refinanced a mortgage before knows. It's just, you know, there comes to a point where you're just like, oh, can this close already? So that is one way to go. And yes, you would save yourself the most money doing it that way. The second way to do this is to not take a 15-year loan, but actually to look for a local lender, a credit union, or a local bank who offers you a 10-year term. You may save a little bit more this way because the interest rate on a 10 year might be even lower than on a 15 the rub is that your monthly payment will actually be higher and it'll be required to be higher but it won't be as high as you're planning to prepay in the long run so i don't really see that as much of a downside it's just if you get yourself into a financial squeeze and you have to scale back on those prepayments, you are going to have a required monthly payment that is higher to begin with. So that's just something else to take into consideration. The third way to go about this is to not refinance at all. Your first mortgage has just a few years remaining on it, and you only have a little bit in interest left to pay. So by refinancing that loan, even at a lower rate, you're not going to save that much money. Plus, you're already comfortable with the end date of that loan. Instead, what you do is you just prepay the home equity loan. And in order to hit your time goal of getting out of that loan by 2026, you'd need to prepay that loan by about 335 $340 a month. That is going to see you save a little over $5,000 in interest without having to refi, without having to consolidate. Yes, it does mean that your total monthly payments will be higher than if you refi and prepay, but it does have the advantage of not needing to go through the refi process at all. So I hope that that makes sense. And I think that one of these three solutions should work for you. But again, I'm going to send it to you via email so that you can look at them, you can mull them over, and you can talk about them with your husband. But thanks for the question.
0: Wow, Jean, that was such a deep dive. I was not expecting
1: that answer. You know, I got to say, I wasn't expecting it either. I was sort of expecting when I got the answer back from Keith It would be like, yeah, just do this. But he's right. Like refinancing, because I've done it, it's a total hassle. It is not so, it's not fun. And if you're feeling, as Dr. Romy was talking about, that you already have enough on your plate, you may want to just say, thanks, but no thanks. Save yourself some of the money, not all of the money, and know that you have still made a pretty substantial difference in your financial life. Right? It comes down to the point where it's your time, it's the hassle, and it's what you have the stomach for right now. Such a great point, Jean. Our last question is from Stephanie. She
0: writes, when is enough enough? I'm a 65-year-old physician who retired from a busy practice a year ago. Now I'm working part-time because I love my profession, making $140,000 a year. I plan to work until 70 as long as my health holds. I saved a lot over the last 10 years since my divorce. I also had an employer-sponsored retirement program, which has left me very comfortable. I estimated 10 years ago that I would retire at 65 with $1 million. However, with an inheritance and my savings, I have $2.3 million in assets, including one rental property. Even more importantly, I have a defined benefit pension plan. So my pension plus Social Security at age 66 will be $126,000 a year, and at age 70, it will be $188,000 a year. With my savings and an inheritance, I have more than exceeded my expectations. I'm a simple gal. Some of my favorite clothes come from the Goodwill. My only debt is a $400,000 mortgage from my second home, which I pay from the rental on my first home. How do you know when you have enough for your retirement needs? I've begun to give my excess money away. I've gifted money to my kids to prompt them to start retirement savings accounts. I have endowed a scholarship for first-generation college students interested in health sciences. There are people in my life who are expressing concern about my giving money away. However, with my pension and Social Security, I feel that I can return to my goal of $1 million plus my house and be secure. Am I wrong? Finally, do you have any resources on deacquisition or
1: charitable giving? Thank you so much. Stephanie, this is such... A good question. I feel like I'm a broken record today. This is such a good question. This is such a good question. I have, this is why I love our listeners. This is why I love our community because you don't just write when is enough enough and leave it at that. You tell me about your lives and you tell me about your challenges and you give me some insight into why you're thinking the way that you're thinking. And that makes me just love my job and love all of you so much. I In reading this, Stephanie, there's one thing that I think is missing. You say you got divorced. You didn't say if you are single at this point, and you didn't mention long-term care insurance. I'm a little bit worried about your long-term care needs. The pension and Social Security, could they fund the cost of your long-term care if you had no other money? They might be able to. They might be able to, that plus the sale of a house, could it fund your long-term care needs? Probably. I just would like you to look into that. I'd like you to, as what sounds like a single woman, I just want to make sure that you have the ability to be taken care of in the way that you're comfortable That should the time come where you need physical care, if you want to receive it in your home, I want you to have the resources to get it in your home. If you want to move into a continuing care community, I want you to feel like you have the resources to do that. So if you've never had the conversation, I'm not saying that you absolutely have to buy it because after you look at it, after you look at what the policies offer as a physician, you better than anyone knows what it means not to be able to accomplish the activities of daily living that are the benchmark for when these policies kick in, but I would like to see you just have this conversation. And then I'd like to see you, yes, come up with a plan for giving this money away, One of the things that I have been counseled more than once from giving experts is when we start these programs of gifting annually to our children, we sometimes feel like we can do it once or twice and they won't start to rely on that money, but they may not have the same perspective. And so if you are going to start annually gifting, I just want to make sure that you're being very clear about what the expectations are, both on your side of the table and on their side of the table. When it comes to deacquisition, when it comes to charitable giving overall, I've been very impressed, actually, with the resources at Fidelity, and I'm not here, by the way, to sell you on them, but I opened a donor-advised fund with Fidelity a couple of years ago and have started exploring grant-making. It's allowed me to think about ways to bring my children into the process of having a donor-advised fund in the family and grow they're giving aspirations as well as my own. And so I I would encourage you to look there. I also think you should go back to one of our earlier podcasts. We had a guest named Dr. Kat, Katerina Roschetta. She runs the Center for High Impact Philanthropy at the University of Pennsylvania. They are always publishing lots of really good resources, so I think you should look there as well. And I'm going to keep my eye out for other resources that I can send your way. I think that it's a very nice problem to have. We don't get the question how much is enough often enough. I think you are the best judge of what is enough for you, but I do just want to make sure that you have enough should you live the next 40 years to be able to do it in comfort and in good health. That's great
0: advice, Jean. Yeah, I think that the people who are advising her maybe to be careful with her money are people who know just how long she could live, right? Like you don't want to be so generous that you wind up in a bad position. But I think that there is a happy medium between her feeling the abundance that she feels now, and her having the $1 million that she set out to have.
1: And the million dollars that she set out to have is not worth a million dollars in 20 years. We know that inflation erodes the purchasing power of our money, and so if it's not invested for growth, at least for some growth, then you have to be careful about running out. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your great advice. Oh, thank you for teeing up the questions, as always. In today's Thrive, let's talk about Improving your credit score so that you can secure the home of your dreams. We have all heard the buzz about the low mortgage rates out there right now. Rates for a 30-year fixed mortgage stood at about 2.6% this week. And those great deals, coupled with more city dwellers migrating to suburbia, have driven home sales to their highest pace since 2006. But of course... To capitalize on these rates, you have to qualify for them, which means having a good, if not great, credit score. So what do you do? If your credit isn't good enough to get you the rate you want right now, there are a few action steps that you can take to increase your score so that at the same time you're adding more savings to put towards your down payment, you can be building up that score to secure the best rate. We've got a full rundown at hermoney.com this week, but there are a few tips to get you started. First, Start by paying your bills on time, every time. It's an important factor, the most important factor, in improving your credit score. Next, look to lower the amount of credit card debt you're carrying and limit your spending. Avoid making any big purchases between now and the time you apply. You want to keep your credit utilization ratio, which shows how much of your available credit you're actually using, at 10% or less to really improve your score. Also, if possible, avoid any new credit inquiries while trying to improve your score. These happen whenever you apply for new credit, and they can knock two to five points off your score. Lastly, don't close old credit cards. As long as a card is in good standing, having an additional one, even if you're not using it, doesn't really hurt you and technically can help you by adding to your available credit. So how long will it take to see a bump in your score? Within one or two months, you can see a slight uptick, and at the end of six months to a year, a serious improvement. And don't forget, applying for a home is something to be celebrated. Improving your credit score is a marathon rather than a sprint, but with the right hard work, you'll get there. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Dr. Romy for joining us to help us all think about a brain shift of our own. I know I'm going to start thinking about my busy brain a little bit differently. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Also, while you're there, leave us a review. We really do love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk soon.